You're listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Isnick, sponsored by Philanthropic Impact. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to The Caring Economy with me, your host, Toby Usnick. Sonia Kosla is the Chief Impact Officer at Benevity, a company known for its philanthropic endeavors and commitment to driving positive change. In her role, Sona is pivotal in shaping Benevity's approach to social responsibility, ensuring that its impact is felt both locally and globally. With a background rich in corporate social responsibility and a passion for creating meaningful societal change, Sonia brings a unique perspective to the intersection of business and social good. Today, we have the opportunity to delve into her insights, vision, and experiences that shape Benevity's mission. So, with no further ado, welcome to the Caring Economy, Sona Kosla. Thanks for having me, Toby. I'm happy to be here. Now, I know from the beginning of this interview before we went on air that you're in uh, Calgary, Canada today. Are you a native of Calgary? I am born and raised in Calgary, which is uh, pretty unusual. Most people leave Calgary. <laughs> um, but <laughs> Why I, is that? <laughs> I've stuck around. Well, the joke about Calgary is that it's not the most lovable city. It's the most livable city. And so we have uh, clean air, short commute times, reasonable cost of living, like all those very practical things. <laughs> and really awesome outdoors and sports and things, which I love. So. Yeah. And I've never met a Canadian I haven't liked. So welcome. <laughs> so that's a perfect intro is to give us like a two, three, four minute digest of how did you get where you got? How did you find your way? Without going into my entire life story, uh, Toby, I'll just say that, you know, I I kind of confidently declared when I finished my degree that I would never go into marketing, but somehow uh, I accidentally ended up doing 15 years of marketing. Um, uh, go figure, right? My entire career has been spent mostly in disruptive tech companies that serve global markets. So uh, I worked in online payments, I worked in uh, stock photography, and then most recently in social impact. And uh, what I'd say is, um, as I joined Benevity, which is where I kind of got introduced to social impact about eight and a half years ago now, I really felt like I'd found my people. So humans who are using business to make the world a better place. I, I often say, oh my gosh, I found the best people doing the best jobs at the best company. And so I really feel like we're literally reinventing capitalism from the inside out and okay. uh, making sure that as much as possible, no one gets left behind. So just a background in tech and, and global companies kind of landed me where I was. But in my my role as chief impact officer, I'm the first chief impact officer at Benevity. It's not a not a common uh, role. When I was talking to uh, my, my boss, who at the time was the founder and CEO of Benevity about kind of what was next for me. He was like, well, how about chief impact officer? And I was like, that's career suicide. No one has that title. Okay. Little did I know how prescient his, his idea was. It was definitely a role we're starting to see more. And so I'm most pithily described as the conscience of the company. That's, a, actually, that's quite a mantle, right? <laughs> it has a lot of responsibility. I, I have actually, I've seen more and more roles for leading a edge companies around as a communications professional by training around the communications person supporting that because so many companies are doing all these pieces, right? The employee engagement, volunteerism, philanthropy, or, um, you know, foundation type work. 
great DEI or HR practices, but they're not necessarily telling a really impactful or optimized story around that. So I saw recently with Google and some other brands that they're doing that. And I, I, I love seeing more of that. I think that is the vanguard still for better, or for worse. So you're definitely on the vanguard. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing that you say that, Toby, because um, what I've found is more marketing and communications professionals turned impact professionals. Mm. Um, and, and so it's an interesting kind of career path that is kind of well-trodden. Like when we look at some of our clients, uh, some of the leaders at some of the largest companies, you know, like Microsoft or Dell or Apple have marketing backgrounds. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there's something there. What I would say though, is that I've really had to unlearn some of the, what I've learned in marketing communications. We start with the message, we start with the brand. Mm -hmm. And when you move into these roles, it's really important to start with the impact you want to have and then actually let the storytelling happen. And that has been um, something of an instinctual thing I've had to try to kind of temper um, right. and, and, and do the right thing in the right order, you know, because uh, I used to be focused on doing the right thing for the brand. I now have to be responsible for doing the right thing for the world. Yeah, it's a heavy responsibility, but also I think it comes somewhat naturally if you're if you're raised and conditioned and trained in a certain way, which I think more people are than we want to realize. Let's stick with that for a second. I want to go back to that little girl growing up in in Calgary. There must have been early signs of who you are today. And I wonder what those were. Were you a early storyteller, a creative? Were you a bookworm? How did you kind of find this sort of way into university and beyond? Oh, I love that you're asking this question. I started journaling, which led to writing when I was in grade seven. Writing for me is the gifts I feel is most precious in, in my life. And I actually still have every single journal I've written in since grade seven. Um, and so I started with kind of the writing as I got into high school and, and university, I found what I was reading was very much um, uh, the biographies and autobiographies of change makers. So Nelson Mandela's Long Walk to Freedom mm -hmm. was one of the most impactful books I read. And then I read um, uh, Mahatma Gandhi's autobiography. Um, and then I got into Malcolm X and then I was reading Bryce Courtney's The Power of One. And I, and Alice, all of Alice Walker's um, books and all of um, Maya Angelou's books. And I think what I started to realize was that there was a thread of social justice in everything I was reading. And, um, and that just lit me up. Like I, it was something that just sparked kind of that change maker in me. But what I would say is, as I got into my career, I, um, I was starting to kind of find um, communications was my thing. I got into marketing, I got into brand and I kind of, you know, again, accidentally ascended in that career path. People just saw something in me and kept kind of promoting me and giving me more responsibilities. And so I ended up on this career path. And then, like I was mentioning earlier, I just, all of a sudden I got to the point where I was like, is this, wait a minute, you know, I'm in my late forties. Is this really what I want to live for? Like, and I started to go back and think about what mattered to me as 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 kind of just a young, um, you know, a young adult. And I was like, it's the change making and being in being at Benevity actually woke me up to that again. And now in this role of, as chief impact officer, I really get to bring that change making ethos into my day-to-day -day role and then combine it with the skills I've acquired as a communications and marketing professional. Yeah. And I would also imagine your network, if it's anything like my experience, you've built this network, which you can tap into. 
um, we often talk about the concept of, of reputational currency, and you presumably have really great, strong reputational currency because of where you've been and what you've done. Yeah, and I, I would say, um, you know, I, I'm not one of those people who grew up with a really strong network that, you know, got me into a lot of opportunities and whatnot. I, I had a brother-in-law who took a chance on me early on. <laughs> I love that. a job at the local restaurant. So I, <laughs> I love that candor. <laughs> yeah, I love that. But I, I um, what I would say is that joining a platform company um, at Benevity was all of a sudden there were, you know, a thousand companies with some of the most incredible social impact leaders. And so I've had the opportunity and really like the humbling um, opportunity to be able to see how they operate in like global contexts and large enterprises with distributed workforces and see how they use purpose um, really um, effectively, authentically and with integrity. And so, yeah, in that sense, um, it's been rich uh, really rich. I want to ask you more about that because I spent some time in a tech startup, Razorfish, um, but most of my training is in or background is in 150 year old or older brands from American Express, New York Times, His Majesty's Government. I love oxygenating older brands, legacy brands, but I also, there's much I loved about my Razorfish time. The, the platforms and the tech companies are not all alike, right? Some are really very impressive and some are just disastrous and i wonder how you if you agree with that and how you sort of discern what best in class looks like today yeah i i what i would say is true of all tech companies is they've got a lot of power <laughs> and and whether they 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 know the power that they have or not right like when you think about companies like facebook who have you know built specific um, engagement tactics into their algorithms. And then, you know, later we realize uh, about, you know, we realize some of the detrimental effects that they have on mental health or, you know, young women's body image, for example, and you go, oh gosh, okay, there's there's more power here than we thought and a lot of unintended consequences. So I, I think tech absolutely has so much power and influence. I don't think we always know it until it's too late. I guess it's it's hard to say really what best in class looks like because I think the most the most impressive programs to me are the ones that are the most authentic to their culture, their people, and their their leaders. Mm -hmm. um, but I think overall what I would say is companies who take a very holistic approach. So they're not just looking at social impact in a silo. They're looking at it as a red thread uh, across culture, um, people development and growth, um, across um, social impact, obviously, across yeah. Um, you know, DEI, like they're basically threading it and then they're infusing impact into their business ethos and values in a really authentic way. So it doesn't feel like a checkbox or an ESG exercise at the end of the year where you're scrambling to prove that you've got volunteer hours or community investment. So, you know, I, I would say that those who take a very broad approach um, to me, are what are best in class, and then those who really understand the how to use their their platform, their people, and their products to drive um, change. And that's not, and I would think you agree, that's not limited to tech companies, right? There's some like you know Jamie Dimon does a pretty good job with his team at J.P. Morgan and in integrating everything, whether it's DEI or sustainability across the whole organization. 
Yeah, ex yeah, you're absolutely right. Some of the companies who do it best aren't even tech. And some of them are like those hundred year old companies who it was in their DNA before you could measure brand reputation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm glad you agree. So tell us a little bit about Benevity and, uh, and then we'll go into your role. Yeah. So, you know, Benevity is um, a platform, like I said. So we uh, are uh, the global leader in corporate purpose solutions. So we enable businesses basically to be a force for good. What that means is we help them engage their stakeholders in positive impact. So whether that's engaging their employees in donation matching campaigns or volunteering or positive action uh, programs um, or even crisis and humanitarian relief. Um, also help them uh, uh, manage their relationships with nonprofits through, you know, granting in-kind uh, skills-based volunteering and other charitable contributions. Um, and then the third aspect is helping them engage their customers in doing good. So whether that's donation roundups, e-commerce integrations, you know, the ability to donate loyalty points that um, are charitable currency that you can donate to the cause of your choice. Mm -hmm. um, so those are kind of, that's the broad suite that we offer. We've got about a thousand clients, um, many of the, you know, the household brands, Benevity is not a household brand by any means, but our clients are really using our, our technology to manage their corporate impact programs. And partly what I think is unique about our technology is that it enables company to companies to engage their stakeholders in doing good in a measurable way that allows them to go and do that storytelling, but also to use the data to optimize their impact and their programs for greater, greater results. Could you name some uh, clients or brands or? So some of the clients who use us are like uh, Nike, Starbucks, Google, Microsoft. Um, okay. Yeah, SAP, you know, um, a number of clients um, yeah. across industries uh, yeah. who work with us. Yeah. And what about um, any sort of stats in terms of, give us a sense of the size of your, your enterprise. Yeah, so we've, we've achieved some pretty impressive collective impact with our clients. So we've processed about $13 billion in donations. We've managed about $18 billion in grants, uh, about 65 million hours of volunteering, wow. uh, over a million positive actions. And what the really cool, my favorite stat is, the coolest stat is that it's all in support of 430,000 unique nonprofits worldwide. It's very impressive. Yeah, yeah. and so that, that stat just shows me that, you know, Almost for every person who engages, there is a cause that they care about, just the yeah. personal nature. It also leads to my next question, which is your global footprint or reach. I'm assuming you're you're broadly English-based, Anglophone service provider, but your service, and you have a lot of multinationals you just cited, but uh, what is your sort of non-US footprint? Yeah, so we um, we are primarily um, penetrated in North America, but most of our clients have global operations because we are a global platform. We have two million uh, nonprofits in our database. Um, every you know every corner of the earth is covered with a nonprofit, mm -hmm. um, but we also have a number of companies who have employees in countries like um, the Philippines, India. Um, and then also a lot of companies that are based in Europe, Australia, New Zealand. Um, so those are kind of our, our core uh, areas yeah. where we... And do, yeah. do you do the sort of auditing, so to speak, to verify that a nonprofit in, say, India is is qualified or... Yeah, that is actually one of the uh, one of the core competencies that we offer to, to companies is to ensure that the organizations that are included in our database are not only in good standing in the in the regions that they operate, but that they meet 
um, the guidelines for what is considered charitable in those regions. And, um, you know, it used to be in the, you know, in, in the US, for example, companies would make sure that any organization that were that they were donating to, whether it was in, in Zimbabwe or, you know, uh, or um, Poland, that they met the criteria of what a charitable organization would be in the US. But that actually is a very um, US centric model. And so, yeah, so we worked uh, with a few partners to enable us to be able to say, actually, it's more important that those organizations meet charitable status in their own countries, according to their own regulations. Um, because when you're engaging people on the ground in those regions, they know who they think of, who they want to support, and they have to be able to do that without mm -hmm. having to worry about whether they meet the U.S. guidelines. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, again today on The Caring Economy, we're thrilled to have Sona Kosla with us. She's the Chief Impact Officer at Benevity, a company known for its philanthropic endeavors and commitments to driving social change. Um, Sona, I wonder if you might, uh, for our listeners who are interested in knowing more, um, suggest the best way to either be in touch with you or to find out more about Benevity. Yeah, absolutely. They can find us, of course, at Benevity.com. Um, we're also on, you know, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, uh, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. I don't spend a ton of time on social media, <laughs> but if I am, it's on LinkedIn. Cool. And I wonder if, you know, social impact is, it's a, it's a broad statement. I wonder if you might, excuse me, describe it for our audience, um, from your perspective at Benevity. Yeah, absolutely. Impact is a very big term. Um, and I think that it gets thrown around somewhat lightly. So defining it's a, a really good idea. Um, so when we think about impact, we think about two different brands of impact, let's say. There is social impact and then there is business impact. Uh, at Benevity, we're focused on helping companies actually turn their social impact into business impact. So when we talk about what those social impact metrics are, we're talking about three parts of that. There's inputs, outputs, and outcomes. So inputs are like, how many dollars are you donating? How many volunteer hours are you giving? Um, so what are the resources that you are providing out to nonprofits to enable them to achieve their mission? The, the outputs are what the nonprofits are doing to achieve their own mission. So whether that's meals served, people housed, um, those kinds of outputs. And then the third thing, which is really starting to become I would say the center of gravity around where companies are coalescing on how they think about impact is the outcomes that they're generating through yeah. those inputs and outputs in partnership with nonprofits. And so you know, how many people have we helped become food secure? How many people have we enabled to um, take more sustainable or uh, positive action on climate? Um, so looking at those outcomes. So that's what we kind of define as the, the umbrella term is impact, but it really includes those inputs, outputs, and outcomes. On the business impact side, we've seen a number of companies correlate their uh, engagement and um, their investments in social impact in business impact. So whether that is uh, brand affinity, positive brand sentiment, um, brand engagement uh, on the brand side of things. And then on the employee side of things, we did our own study uh, where we correlated uh, engagement in these employee programs with a reduction in turnover for newer employees up to 52%. And actually what was really cool was that when we looked at all measured cohorts across all tenures, it was a correlation of 24% um, reduction in employee turnover, which I think is amazing. Like as we look at companies who are trying to figure out how to retain talent, 
Um, there's not that many levers that have that much of an impact. Um, and then a number of other companies are correlating it with productivity, uh, with promotion, with recognition, uh, with performance scores, um, and seeing positive correlations across the board there. Yeah, I often uh, coach my colleagues wherever I work to think of the volunteerism piece in particular as another way to do leadership development and incentivize those who, you know, you can't give everyone a raise or promotion regularly, but there are ways to grow people. And it's been my observation, particularly now with younger generation, they want to learn and grow. Um, it's not that the salary doesn't matter, but I think they want to know that they're going to be nurtured and, and engaged. So I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah, absolutely, Toby. I think what's so interesting about volunteerism specifically is, um, you know, we talked about social impact and business impact, but I think there's individual impact as well. And when you think about well-being, like the the stats around volunteers being happier, healthier, less anxiety, less stress, um, it's really powerful, especially in this era where well-being is tenuous. Mm -hmm. um, on the skills side, you're absolutely right. You know, we often think about companies lending skills out to nonprofits. And so that's definitely a thing. But the the skills that people learn working in nonprofits, and I think the 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 biggest one is empathy mm -hmm. and understanding. And I think the more you know people are exposed to communities who are different from them, who may not have had the advantages or the access that they did, um, builds a level of compassion that you can bring yeah. back into the workplace and helps them become better leaders. I personally think empathy is a core competency for leaders in this next you know generation of work, and so. Volunteering absolutely provides that benefit and that development as well. I couldn't agree more. And in fact, when I built the CSR program at Christie's and we had our volunteers, and what was also exciting, I don't know if you track this at Benevity, but you can track the hours and different kinds of impact. But you can also grow as a volunteer within that or as a volunteer within that organization and grow up to board participation. So you're not just going back to your organization with what you've learned, but you're also growing your leadership skills within a board. And I don't know if that's something that you track or you just do the pure hours, but I think it's a huge development opportunity for corporations to send their employees. Yeah, totally agree, Toby. And, and I'd say, that, you know, coming back to that idea of best in class, the best companies are using their companies almost as a gateway to help people get involved in their community. So introducing them to volunteer opportunities and then mm -hmm. nurturing them along that path to become more deeply engaged. And board service, I think, is one of those things that's incredibly rewarding for people. And, you know, you definitely see people longer in tenure and thinking more about legacy when they're in those. And, and that's, I mean, ultimately, isn't that what we're all here, here for is that sense of meaning and yep. impact. Yeah. I mean, I spent early in American Express, I was uh, on a committee of employees who successfully lobbied at the time, this is in the mid nineties, for domestic partner benefits, which sounds quaint now, but before there was marriage, we just wanted to have benefits, which we did uh, achieve, and then spent 20 years on a, a PAC, uh, Empire State Pride Agenda, lobbying for many things, including ultimately marriage equality. It's on mission for me and my life, uh, but it is my community and it matters. And it's very much as you described, Sona, the legacy. What are you going to be remembered for? Plus all the other benefits of great networks and fun and, and, and development opportunities. So I'm with you.
Yeah. Well, thank you for leading that. And like that sustained commitment is, is what makes a difference. Like we, ACLU is one of the organizations that has grown in terms of funds on our platform and just seeing how that, that coalescing of companies commitment around this, it, it makes a difference. You anticipate my next question, which is the Israel Hamas tragedy going on right now. I would imagine you're seeing a lot of activity within Benevity from your different um, member organ- member organizations, uh, how I describe it, or client organizations. Client, yeah. yeah. Is that true? And and what what sort of insights can you share with us about that tragedy? Yeah, well, Toby, how about you ask an easier question? <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to pick sides. I'm just saying that. No, absolutely. Everyone's got a point of view and they're entitled to it. But I suspect it's driving more engagement in in volunteerism and donor dollars and others. It is. And it's interesting. So one of the one of the other parts of the Benevity platform is actually an ERG platform, an employee resource platform, uh, which enables those groups to you know build community and have discussion, dialogue and events. The Israel and Hamas war has been, I think, a really big education for a lot of us um, mm. in the corporate world. I think that, you know, we we see those stats where everybody wants CEOs to stand up for the right thing. I think what we realized is that, you know, not everyone is equipped to make the statement that's needed at the time. And I so I think we saw a little bit of whiplash, right? We saw companies making statements and then realizing that there was backlash on those statements and then having to, you know, put out another one. Uh, the companies I've talked to, most companies did two to three statements and corrections. Uh, no one got it right out of the gates. I think people underestimated how polarizing and divisive and deeply entrenched um, this, this conflict is. Um, and so I think companies have learned a lot about their communication strategies, first of all, because in most of those companies, it was comms who was leading it. Yes. When many of the impact people were like, I wish you'd engaged with us. We could have <laughs> told you something. Um, but what's interesting to me was, so there's, you know, on two fronts, one is this is a very contentious and difficult issue. And in my time in this space, and I don't know about you, Toby, this has been the most polarizing issue I've seen. Um, and I think what we have as an opportunity in companies is to create the space for civil dialogue and discussion. Um, And so I hope that companies don't shy away from it, that they take the opportunity. Uh, You know, know, I've I've heard a number of companies are running listening sessions and bringing ERGs together. And I think that's a massive opportunity. The other thing we saw that I found really interesting was in terms of donation trends, Um, Obviously, we saw a massive spike in donations to organizations um, supporting humanitarian aid um, as the war kind of broke out. And what was interesting about that is that 70% of the funds were actually directed to nonprofits that are based in region. So, um, you know, like Israel and Palestine. And prior to the, you know, to October 7th, only 5% of funds were actually going towards those same organizations. So a massive appetite to support locally uh, based uh, organizations and actually not a lot of money going towards large global humanitarian organizations. So, and to me, it's interesting because you can see that people um, want money to get, they want to get money on the ground to the organizations they know and care about and trust. Um, mm-hmm. So it's been a very interesting time. I, I don't think we're out of it. I think companies are still figuring out 
how to bring their people together. Um, yeah, but it's 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 going to be a, I think a, a journey. But it's great that Benevity and others can provide um, resources and knowledge and access. I did an earlier interview today with the CEO of Case, which is a higher education nonprofit out of Washington that works with not just higher education but school. Uh, administrators globally, whether it's uh, all the external affairs folks, basically, and we're having this very similar conversation, they at least provide tools and resources to help facilitate the conversations. Because we all, I think, generally just need to calm down and listen. And that civility, creating that space that you described, I think that's exactly where we can go and maybe not rush into, as we saw with some of these leaders, to wave banners and, and scream, but just kind of listen ourselves. Um, I want to take a completely different angle here, which is to ask about algorithms. Um, I have just started out talking about tech and I've had twice in the past two weeks happen. I think we're going to see more of it. That's why I bring it up. Younger people, but I don't think it has to be younger people at all, talking about their algorithms, by which I mean they're well aware of what's going on, right? There are algorithms everywhere. And they have that knowledge and they take that responsibility to say, it's my algorithm. I know that the algorithms know me and I'm going to work my algorithm, so to speak. Um, it, it's an interesting concept, I think. I've taught courses in AI for social impact, but I'm trying to help people realize in those courses that these are not new, right? There's been algorithms, you've swiped left, swipe right, you talk to Siri, whatever. To help people realize this is not new, it's not a reason not to engage with AI, but as I've heard these young people of late say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm working my algorithms. I love that concept. So I've just spewed a lot at you, but what do you think about that? Is that is that a fair assessment? Is that a teachable opportunity to help people really just know that their algorithms are theirs to be engaged with knowingly versus blindly? Yeah, I I mean I would love to know more about what they mean about working your algorithm. I I know for me like I'm sometimes afraid to click on things because I'm like, oh, I don't want more of that and they're just right. like I'm training my algorithm, right? And so Well, um, I'll give you an example before you skip. Yeah. Uh my one colleague, we were talking about TikTok and every so often I will get this really random like a, a woman about to bite the head off of a turtle. I'm like so aghast I just quickly turn it off. But what my colleague does is she's whenever I see something like that, I report it mm. because she's taking an active role in shaping what's presented to her. Um, and I thought, well, I should probably do that. I don't even want to get that involved with such a, a gory topic. And it's like every five months or something, I'll see something like that. I'm like, where on earth did that come from? You know, it's not something I would look for regularly. They suggested this probably TikTok live and that that's different, but I don't know. That's really thought. interesting. It's kind of a, it's kind of a cool take on collective impact actually. Yeah. And like how collectively, you know, if we do um, kind of uphold a certain standard as users yeah. on the platform, we can actually make a difference. I think that's, that's really interesting. Like Wikipedia, right? That's yeah. That's crowdsourced in a sense, but so uh, I just wonder if you had any other thoughts about algorithms for young people or old people or given your vast knowledge about tech. Uh, no, I mean, you heard me. I man, I tend to avoid a lot of social media. <laughs> but, there um, you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it says true. a lot right there. 
It is. Yeah. I'm, I, I actually have a real, um, yearning for long form. I love long form content. I like going deep. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I actually have really ethical concerns with some of the way, um, video is going right. Like I, I was recently shooting a video with my team and they were like, uh, when they sent me the cut, they were like, just so you know, it changes every 10 seconds, because what we found is when you change the angle every 10 seconds, it kind of keeps readers engaged. And I was like, really, we're training the brain that way. Like, is that actually ethical? Should we do that? Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't have the answer because it's like, uh, you know, I, I, it's just this tension between you want your videos to be watched, but also I think our brain's chemistry has completely changed. And I have deep concerns about, you know, us not being able to focus and constantly having to be jarred and entertained and the dopamine hits that create the the addiction. About asking about managing your algorithms, almost like your sort of petting zoo of algorithms when you go on this side of this site. Why is it that just the creators of that content are the ones having and thinking about those questions when we all are consumers, we caveat emptor, right? Like we need to be aware, we need to ask ourselves the very same question. Why is this delighting me just as that horrible turtle story shared horrifies me. So yeah, I'm also with you. I like the long format a lot. But, um, so my last question for you is your pearls of wisdom, Sona. You've, you've had a great life, you lead a great brand and you are purpose-driven. I wonder what you have gleaned in those years around, for, that you might share with someone younger or older who wants to take a page out of your playbook? Yeah, I think that there's probably two things I would say. One is oftentimes people think that people who've landed in, you know, these, these kinds of positions, like executive positions, they think it was all intentional. And I very much accidentally landed up where I was. Um, I had incredible allies, people who believed in me and said, I think you can do this. You should just do it. And I just believed them. And, you know, when I didn't believe in myself, I believed them. And that's kind of what got me to where I was. So I'd say sometimes I feel like young people put so much pressure on themselves to like have a career plan and like goals and objectives. And it's like, you know, you can accidentally end up in a pretty awesome place. Um, And I think, and I think for me, it was always, I was very learning driven. I just want to learn more. I just want to do, I want to learn more. And so Um, so I would say it's okay if you don't have a big career plan, you might just end up in the best place possible, which I, I feel like I did. The the second thing I would say is, um, I, I just had a conversation with someone recently, um, in a mentoring capacity. And, uh, at the end of it, she emailed me and said, thank you so much for just, you know, uh, giving me the permission to not have a big purpose. Because I think in this purpose-oriented world, everyone's like, well, like, what's your purpose? Do you know what you're here for? What's your legacy? What's your impact? And it's like, it's also okay to not know and just to be a good, kind human and, you know, be a positive impact and ripple in a small way every day in your interactions. And, and Toby, when my mom passed away suddenly four years ago and she was an incredible woman and we joked about her one day going on Oprah and so based literally on her deathbed, I said, mom, are you really disappointed that you didn't make it to Oprah? And she said, oh no, like I've had such a rich life and I've met so many incredible people. And that is, 
you know, that is the best gift. Like I can, you know, I can go in peace. Awesome. And I think that's powerful, right? Like what is, what is a life of meaning? It's yeah. not, always, it's not always big and splashy. In fact, it rarely is. Correct. But I do think you're right. And that person who has those values, asks those questions and is intentional. I think um, they do have a purpose. They just might not know it or know how to say it. Enter the storytellers <laughs> and the yeah. benevities to help land those messages. Yeah. But I share that commitment with you as well. So Sona Kosla, thank you so much for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, Sona Kosla is the Chief Impact Officer at Benevity, a great company known for its philanthropic endeavors and commitment to driving positive change. Sona, I hope you'll come back and tell us more next year about where things are. I'd love to come back. Thank you for listening to The Caring Economy with Toby Usnick. Please share your comments and questions with Toby via Twitter at T Usnick or LinkedIn at Toby Usnick. And thank you for sharing The Caring Economy with your friends and colleagues.